Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, good morning, dear family, beloved family. How are you? You know that I always pray that you're well, because God is always on his throne. He never, never leaves his throne. Nothing happens apart from what he allows, whether it's his uh, determined will or permissive will or whatever it is. If it touches us, God has allowed it. And so um, that's our confidence, not in circumstances, not in fear of the future, but in the very power and presence and love of God, whose love for us on the cross is the same as it is now and always will be, was he loved us from the beginning and will love us to the end. We, dear ones, are um, in the middle, the midst of um, This is the Faith by uh, Canon Francis Ripley. It's a wonderful book. And why am I reading this to us? Why are we talking through this f- book on the faith in the midst of everybody, the world crashing down around us? Don't you know that, Mother Miriam? How could you be talking about all this? Because this is all we need. This is the faith once delivered to the saints. This is what God has given us. This is the commission. <clears throat> He gave to his disciples after his resurrection to go into all the world, uh, teaching them all that he had commanded them to the end of time and baptizing them to the end of time. And that is our commission, to teach the faith, to bring souls to God. Um, and we have not, the more desperate things become, uh, if they, they're not desperate yet, but they're getting worse. And the more, the worse they become, the more we need to gather, I keep saying this, gather our families, take them out of school, teach them at home, get a good supply of vegetables and water and whatever you need to survive. Learn how to cook without gas or electricity. Prepare yourselves now and as a family, read and study and talk about the faith because that's what you will have. And if you are separated from your children for any reason at any point, your children are taken from you, whatever may come, they will have the faith. They will know who they are and whose they are. Uh, an article on LifeSite News yesterday and elsewhere talked about a father who was um, taken. His children were taken from him um, because he was unvaccinated. And there's a record that they're keeping track of all news that they're keeping track of they, the government, Big Brother, keeping track of all those who are unvaccinated. Um, and also that they have the number of COVID deaths, um, the number of people who died from COVID that were vaccinated outnumbered those that were not vaccinated. The vaccine is destroying souls, destroying lives, um, and the government will not stop. They will not stop. So, um, beloved, it's time to withdraw from the world, if we haven't already, and gather your family and teach them the faith. And you can buy this book that I'm reading, uh, This is the Faith, 
or the Catechism Explained. Um, good, good books. Books on the saints that you could have when you won't be able to buy anymore without a chip because they're planning to put that little chip uh, in everybody, in everyone. And it will tra- trace them and redirect the hormones, redirect their um, thinking, their minds, whatever uh, whatever it does. And some people say, Mother Miriam, yeah, this is a science fiction. Well, what are you talking about? You bought into all that. Um, I believe it. I believe it, beloved. It's upon us. And we can't have our heads in the sand. It is upon us. It is science fiction to me. It's, it's, a, it's a horror movie. Uh, we read of the utter, utter horrors during the Holocaust, uh, putting people into the ovens, even Jews, putting Jews into the ovens. I, I just, I was traumatized by seeing those things. And evil is upon us now. Um, uh, there's no depth to it. There's no depth to the devil's uh, schemes and plans and power. There's no depth. Why is God allowing him to do what he's doing? Uh, I'm not God, and I don't know. But God is perfect, and he's the one who sent his son to die for us. We need not question him. We can wonder. We can seek to understand. That's good. But um, not blame him. If you're blaming him, you're blaming a God who doesn't exist. If you blame God for anything that's wrong um, or that happens to you, if you blame God, you're blaming a God of your own imagining, not the one who exists. The one who exists gave his son for you. Well, why is he allowing all this? I don't know. I, I'm not smart enough. I don't think anybody is to know the mind of God. Only the Spirit of God, the Scriptures say, know the mind, knows the mind of God. We need to trust him. If we don't trust him, we are utterly doomed. Then we have nothing and no one to depend on. So right now, I want to read with us this book. Um, This is the faith. We must know the faith, beloved. And we are now on the sources of faith. Um, And uh, it begins that for our present purpose... It is sufficient, this is where we left off, to confine ourselves to the New Testament and especially to the Gospels. We ask, are they authentic, are they historical, and are they unchanged? The answer is yes. The Gospels are authentic, and this can be proved, Canon Francis says, from evidence from both Catholic and non-Catholic sources, outside the text of the documents themselves, And this evidence is strongly supported by evidence afforded by the actual text. Dear ones, mothers, fathers, um, older brothers and sisters, if you don't have a Bible in your house, get as many as you can. And everyone should be reading it. And you should be reading it as a family. Papa, that's your job, to gather the family in the evening or whenever you can and read through the scriptures with them. Canon um, Ripley continues, from the second century, there exists an unbroken line of Christian writers who state explicitly, explicitly that there are four Gospels written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Further, it is possible to put together the greater part of the Gospels merely from quotations found in the early Christian writers from the first century. Again, the Latin version and the Syrian version dating from the 2nd century, have Gospels identical in form 
with what we read today. Turning to non-Christian writers, the fact has to be admitted that second-century heretics, believing the Gospels to be authentic, tried to pervert the text to fit in with their false teachings. They would not deny the apostolic origin of the Gospels, so they attempted to change the text. And many people are attempting that today, beloved. They're they're taking the miracles out. They are um, even so um, uh, arrogant, so foolish, to say that we uh, readjust the book of Hebrews, reinterpret it to say that um, we know more now than the writer to the Hebrews. No, we don't. No, we don't. This is the word of God who exists outside of time, who knows the end from the beginning. It's his word written through men. But he, the word is superintended. He, um, through his spirit, wrote his word. It's not written by men, by, but men, the scriptures say, moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Turning to, um, let me just see here. The Jews still observe silence regarding the life of Christ. They cannot discredit the Gospels. If they could, they would. Moreover, the Jewish historian Josephus mentions Christ and confirms the Gospel account. He has a four-volume set out that he wrote, uh, yet uh, the entire destruction of Jerusalem, all of that, and he's Jewish and not a Christian very authoritative source. At least four famous pagan writers of the first two centuries offer evidence in favor of the authenticity of the Gospels. Pliny the Younger, who was born about 62 AD, says the divinity of Christ was an essential doctrine of Christianity. In his annals, Tacitus, Tacitus, I'm sorry, Tacitus, um, reports Christ's death under Pontius Pilate. Suetonius, who wrote the lives of the first Roman emperors, testifies to the early spread of Christianity. And about the same time, another scribe, Celsus, composed a violent tract against the followers of Christ, showing a knowledge of the gospel story. There is much evidence to be gathered also from the epistles. Christian letters written almost entirely in the first century by St. Paul and others. Three quarters of them were written before 65 AD. The authors write facts as known to and believed by all. How could they have done this if the gospel accounts were not true? In addition, very many passages from the gospels are quoted or mentioned in the epistles. This is just a short summary of the external evidence that the Gospels are authentic documents really written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John within a few years of the death of Christ. There's the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll be back um, and we'll continue a bit with this uh, book on This is the Faith. And after the second break, we'll take your calls, your texts, your emails, and you're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart, toll free, one 877 5185483 or email at mother at We'll be right back. Here at the station. 
Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. It just really connected me to my faith. I always considered myself 100% Catholic, but didn't really realize that I wasn't fully practicing my faith, so I learned so much through the Station of the Cross and began just getting deeper in my prayers and feeling just so much closer to God and so well-versed in learning more about the Bible and more about what actually it means to be Catholic. So it became very, very important to me, and I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I make it a regular practice of donating every time they have their, their fundraising and just love it and wouldn't want it to ever go away. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call one 877 extension 112, then share your testimonial with us. Prayer in Time of Affliction Blessed, O Lord, be thy name forever. Who has permitted this affliction to come upon us? We cannot escape it, but must of necessity fly to thee to help us and turn it to our good. Lord, we are now in affliction. Our souls are ill at ease, for we are much troubled with this present suffering. Let it please thee, O Lord, to deliver us, for poor wretches that we are, what can we do without Thee? Thy mighty hand can do all things. Give us patience, O Lord, and strength and peace. Help us, O God, and we will not fear, no matter how grievously we may be afflicted. O Lord, Thy will be done. Welcome be the will of God. Sacred Heart of Jesus, we place our trust in Thee. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. Um, and we are uh, reading from This is the Faith by Canon Francis Ripley, um, and he's speaking about the authenticity of the Gospels and of Scripture altogether. You must know that. I, I mentioned yesterday that Martin Luther said, were it not for the Catholic Church, we wouldn't even have the Scriptures. Um, and if you say, well, I go to Mass and I hear the Scriptures, maybe you hear them. Um, maybe the lector who reads them, if it's not a priest, um, is is good and clear and and reads with understanding. Maybe you do, but you still wouldn't have the whole Bible under three years, and so much of it is not read. Uh, there are portions read, not the entire scripture. You need to have a little prayer place in your home, light a little candle, have a holy picture, have your rosary there, and and sit with the Bible no less than five minutes every day. You know, if you read, say, Mother, what do you mean five minutes? I'm not going to get much out of five minutes. Oh, yes, you will. If you read the Bible and concentrate and realize that it's God's love letter to you, five minutes a day, every single day, seven days a week. You mean not just Monday through Friday? No, seven days a week. Read the Bible, five minutes, one page, Pick something very small, but continue. Be very faithful. And in time, five minutes will become 10, 
and 15 and a half hour and maybe more every single day. Consistency is the key. Not to read, you'll be better off with five minutes a day than you will with reading three hours once a week or twice a week. It's to build a habit, to be in the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to you. Not because it's not a private interpretation, but you'll begin to understand the heart of God and His will for you. We just concluded before um, the, um, the break saying that the Gospels are authentic documents and written within a few years of the death of our Lord. And Canon Ripley says, add to that evidence the following uh, from the text itself. Uh, the language used in the Gospels is Greek, the Greek dialect current throughout the Roman Empire at the beginning of the Christian era. At the same time, there's a coloring of the Aramaic and the native language of the Palestinian Jews. Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 70 AD. The fact that there is not the slightest mention of this event, except as something foretold, shows that the Gospels must have been composed before that took place. No conscientious, unprejudiced reader of the Gospels would deny that the vivid description of the words and actions of Jesus with so much intimate detail could only have been written by eyewitnesses or those to whom the events were related by eyewitnesses. The Gospels are true history, dear ones. The writers actually say that they are writing history, not fiction. St. Luke, for instance, begins his Gospel like this, Quote, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a narration of the things that have been accomplished among us, according as they have delivered them unto us, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. The Gospels, beloved, are the life of Christ, written by those who were alive with him. Um, Uh, except for Luke, who was the Apostle Paul's companion and who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts as uh, one long treatise, and then they were separated. The style of the evangelists is full of assurance. The facts they relate are confirmed by non-Catholic historians, particularly Josephus. Moreover, the findings of archaeologists entirely support the Gospel story. For example... Recent research has proved that St. Luke was perfectly correct in stating that during the mission of John the Baptist, Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilina. The gospel writings breathe sincerity. There is not the slightest evidence of any intention on the part of the writers to deceive. Deception would profit them nothing. They record humiliating as well as... um, glorious events in Christ's life, humiliating, I should say, as well as glorious events in Christ's life, um, even when they have to report themselves as being blameworthy, they do so without excuse or palliation. They depict themselves as lacking in understanding, as being ambitious and jealous, as wanting in faith and courage, and as being rebuked by Christ. Mostly noteworthy of all, 
they gave their lives in defense of the truth which they had written. Who would give their life for a lie, beloved? It is impossible to suppose that the evangelists were themselves deceived. They were in a position to know the truth. Matthew and John were eyewitnesses of the events they relate. Mark was the secretary of St. Peter and had St. Peter's evidence. And Luke had that of St. Paul and the other apostles. Plus, he was a close friend of the Blessed Mother. They were not overly credulous. In the spirit of the times, they did not expect a spiritual Messiah, but one who would establish a temporal kingdom and free Israel from the power of Rome. And because of this, they quarreled about who would have the highest places in the new kingdom. Even if they had been too credulous, their evidence would easily have been corrected by the many eyewitnesses who saw the events about which they write. And they wrote. The Gospels to this day, dear ones, are still complete and they are unchanged. It has already been stated that it would be possible to piece together almost the whole of the Gospels from quotations appearing in the works of the earliest Christian writers. Those quotations are from the Gospels as we know them today. Copies of the originals of these works are still extant and date back to the 4th and 5th centuries. Their text is substantially the same as that which we use. Further, the most ancient translations, the Latin and Syriac of the 2nd century, the Coptic of the 3rd, and the Gothic and Armenian versions of the 4th and 5th centuries lead to the same conclusion. It is, too, a matter of history that the Church has always guarded the sacred books most carefully and rejected anything save what was inspired. Dear ones, the Bible is the inspired word of God. What does the word inspired mean? It means God breathed. It is God's letter breathed to us till the end of time. The Catholic Church has always regarded the Bible as the inspired word of God, and she demands that all her children accept the Bible as such. The scriptures themselves frequently claim to be divine in their origin. In both the Old and New Testaments, there are passages which are described as coming from God. For example, in Exodus chapter 17, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. And again, the Lord said to Moses, Write these words by which I have made a covenant both with thee and with Israel. And in the New Testament, Jesus Christ himself says that David himself saith by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord. In St. Matthew's Gospel, we find him telling the Jews that God was speaking to them through what they were... God was speaking to them through what they were accustomed to read in the Scriptures. Quote from Matthew, Have you not read that which was spoken by God? Again, Jesus himself refers to the Old Testament writings as a certain proof that his mission was divine and as a final court of appeal 
to convince the Jews, as he said in John chapter 5, search the scriptures, for you think in them you have life everlasting, and the same are they that give testimony of me. You're looking through the scriptures because you know that they are written by God, and they are the ones that bear testimony to the Son of God, who is God the Son. How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that so it must be done? The words of scripture cannot be broken, says John. About 150 times the expression, quote, unquote, the scripture says, or its equivalent occurs, clearly attributing the scripture's divine authority. Not is this, uh, rather, nor is this true of only small portions of the Old Testament. Our Lord expressly refers to all that was written of him in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. The clearest statement of the inspiration of the scriptures, however, is to be found in St. Paul's second epistle to Timothy. Let me quote this quote. All scripture, inspired of God, is profitable to teach, to reprove, to correct, to instruct in justice. That's Second Timothy 3.16. And the following verse says that the man of God may be perfect. Um, equipped for every good work. Nevertheless, even though these texts from Scripture are exceedingly clear, they cannot possibly be our main proof that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. To regard them as such would be to argue in a vicious circle. Consider also the fact that the Bible is infinitely superior to all other sacred books, that the most searching criticism has proved it to be always historically accurate, and that it is obviously supernatural in character. But even these facts are not the principal criteria for determining the inspiration of the sacred books. To prove conclusively that the Bible is inspired, you must first consider the Gospels as historical books only, abstracting from the fact of their inspiration. These historical documents tell us of a certain historical person who said he was God, and as we shall prove in a later instruction, he justified that claim by works which no mere man could have done and said he would establish an infallible church, a church that is still in this world after nearly 2,000 years. And blessed be God, I am in it, and if you're a Catholic, you are in it. And my heart for you is that you would know your inheritance as children of God. You would know who you are in Christ, in his church. And those who are call themselves Christians who are Christians of outside the Catholic Church, you are in a truncated Christianity and you need to come home to the full measure of all that God has given us this side of heaven. Dear ones, we'll be right back after the break and we'll take your calls, your texts, your emails toll free. The number is one 511 or email at mother at the We'll be right back. 
If the cares and anxieties of life are weighing you down, come to the St. Thomas More House of Prayer and allow the Lord to refresh your soul. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center devoted to praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. You'll find a tranquil atmosphere that's ideal for deep prayer, whether as an individual or for a group retreat. We're located at 365 Hill City Road in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. Make your reservation today or learn more at liturgyofthehours.org. You can also call us at 814-676-1910. That's 814-676-1910. We would love to help you experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change your life. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. The Station of the Cross thanks our financial supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. As a nonprofit lay organization not affiliated with your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. Through your generosity, we're able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our entire half hour together and i love this time and again you are welcome always our lines are wide open always for you to call in with anything on your heart the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart not the subject we may be speaking about the toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com we have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously Um, and writes, I'm a 38-year-old married mother of two children, ages 15 and 11. With the exception of brief periods in the public school system, I have homeschooled our two children for their entire lives. Good. We are reverts to the Catholic faith. We were both baptized and made First Communion as children and then did not go back to Mass until our early 30s. We entered the faith at a traditional Latin Mass parish, and our love for the faith has deepened greatly. What a beautiful thing to read. Before that, we lived as pagan heathens. We both had problems with drug use before our reversion. I quit, and he has still used secretly behind my back. We had many marital problems, 
and God was merciful to us in our darkest moments, even when we never deserved it. And scoffed at him. He is truly merciful. My problem is that my husband still uses a legal drug available at just about any gas station and is heavily pushed as heavily pushed as safe. It is called Kratom, K-R-A-T-O-M. It originates from Indonesia. It is not safe and has caused psychosis and violence in my husband. This has hurt our family tremendously in the past, and the behavior associated with its use um, even led to my husband being fired from a previous job. He keeps promising to stop using it, but I always catch him using it again. I give him random drug tests. We have asked for help from our priest and to no, to no avail other than confirmation that due to the gravity of the effects on our family, it is a mortal sin. My husband has made many sacrilegious communions because he was in denial of the gravity of his use. When I catch him, I often lash out in pain, anger, and frustration. Then follows depression. I have seriously considered separating from him, but never do because of the grave harm it would further cause on our children. I caught him again this morning, and thanks in great part to your wisdom from listening to you again, I was able to remain more calm, and I told him that he cannot stop because he has never fully thrown himself at the feet of God with his whole heart and begged for deliverance from his bondage. I also told him that he is living in fear of letting go of our old lifestyle 100% and walking into a new and better life of freedom from its bondage. I also told him that he was being selfish and living in denial of the harm this causes to our family while leading a double life. When he does this, I offer up the suffering his actions have caused to Jesus for his conversion of heart. I just feel like it's never going to end. I'm also studying clinical psychology at an Orthodox Catholic university with the goal of helping drug addicts through a Christ-centered approach. How will I ever be able to help them when I cannot help my own husband? Other than this, we have a pretty good relationship, but when this happens again and again, I have no dis I have to disconnect from him for preservation of my own sanity. Otherwise I fall into despair and cry all the time. Can you offer any advice to help us? Drug addiction is rampant in our wicked society. Thank you, Mother, and God love you. Written by Anonymous. Anonymous, dear one, um, I don't know that your husband will be changed by your uh, lashing out to him in anger or in any other way, um, or that he be- throw his feet, throw himself totally at the feet of Christ. I think the only thing that will help him is your love. You need, you of all people can be sympathetic with him. Uh, Not proud that you've succeeded in getting off drugs, but you of all people know the addiction. 
and the problems with addiction and how very hard it is. If you succeeded, it's because of the grace of God. And you need to be kind to him and sympathetic and never let your children hear you you yell at him because that humiliates him before the children and they'll lose respect for him if they haven't already done so. Um, uh, I don't know how you... Uh, you said you've given him drug tests. It's not your place. You're not his God. You're not his leader. He's yours. You need to respect him um, and not treat him as a drug addict. You need to respect him, to love him, to say, don't worry, sweetheart. I know you took them again. We will get through this. We'll get through this together, honey. Don't worry. And we'll just pray. And maybe you can help him to pray in Ovina to Our Lady um, with you. And, and maybe even a 54-day Novena with the whole family. Um, don't humiliate him. Don't put him down. Love him. And hopefully... I don't know if you've tried or he's tried seeing a counselor, a drug counselor, but <clears throat> you're right. You may, you, you may not help other people if you don't help him because you're frustrated and you're angry and you need to be more, um, um, how do I say, uh, your pain needs to be more for his uh, weakened state than for what you need him to be as a husband or what you want. I would say, if you are studying psychology, I don't know, you, your children are 15 and 11, I don't know the time you spend with them, I don't know the time you spend with your husband, I don't know what your study of, of um, uh, your study, uh, psychology now, uh, I don't know how that takes you away from the family, but I would say, um, I, I would even... I don't know you well, of course. I would even counsel you to stop your studies at the Catholic University. I would counsel you to stop that. For your husband to know, your studies are more important than him. Your wanting to help other people is not more important than your wanting to love him through his current situation. I would stop your studies, and I would pour your life into your husband and your children and help them to love their dad and know what it is to suffer from any addiction. Um, uh, that they don't... Uh, if he thinks that his own children uh, don't regard him, don't respect him, uh, that they listen to you and, and, and think that their dad is a problem, it's not good. You need to respect him. You need to show respect for him before the children and not ever lash out at him again. Uh, I don't know what else to... Um, uh, counsel you with your love your behavior is going to be the number one key to his survival and his overcoming this um, if he ever overcomes it uh, and you want to study the psychology go back to your studies do that but don't have your focus on your studies or anyone else but on loving your husband let there be the peace of God in your heart the consolation of God in your heart the love of God in your heart. And I think through you, God will heal him and help him. Um, we have a call from Jim. Hi, Jim. Hello, Mother Miriam. Hi, sweetheart. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. My good. question for you is, uh, we have a holy hour 
of praise and worship at the church, and the monstrance is exposed by the priest, and the religious leader uh, plays worship songs at the same time, <clears throat> off to the side a little bit. With the guitar? No. I mean, it's done with uh, with discs. With discs. Uh, once in a while, I think once a month, they have a, a live band. But this was the first time I'd been for quite a while. And I, I don't, I mean, the priest, he, he, he sings quietly. This the words on the screen. And of course he exposes the monstrance. He, uh, we sing the Tanto Ergum in, in Latin and then, then mostly praise and worship songs for the rest of the hour. And there's some testimony where people can, can, uh, in, give intercessory prayers. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of, I kind of don't enjoy it because I don't like the songs themselves. You know, that's not my, that's not my Jim, thing. Jim, Jim, I it. would not even attend that. I could not sit through that. It is not right. Number one, discs are not proper in a church. They're not proper at all. Tapes and discs, CDs, all of that are not proper. Um, and words up on a screen, it's become Protestant. It's a Protestant. Um, it's either an hour of adoration or praise and worship, one of the two. Um, praise and worship songs are tremendously self-centered, regardless of their words. They're self-centered. You, you distract, you do not allow people to worship God. If it's a holy hour, it needs to be a holy hour. Holy means separated, consecrated to God. And get people out of that. Get that music out of there. So, Jim, I absolutely agree with you. And, and if it was live music, it would, it would be just worse, probably. That's right. That's, there's no band. What kind of band? Either you have a holy hour and let people uh, love God and worship Him and pray, or you have an hour of entertainment, which, that, which is what it amounts to. Even it's though it's entertainment off I mean, it's all focused on Jesus as our Lord. We need, but Jesus. it's entertainment. It's not, you know, if when I th- it's Protestant. When I think of often the Hebrew people um, in the Old Testament, uh, Exodus nineteen, they were told to refrain f- from marital relations, to bathe, to fast, to simply stand at a distance before the mountain uh, upon which God would roar. Nobody could see him. And in order to come that near to his presence, they needed to uh, make sure they were totally free of sin. And and marital relations are not sinful, but it was that holy um, that they were asked to refrain even from marital relations and to fast and to cleanse themselves. This modern praise and worship in front of God, I, I think it's, I, I truly think it's awful. I, I, uh, I, don't, I can't tell you God thinks that, but I do. Either you're going to have a holy hour and let people be with God, or it's going to be entertainment, which is what praise and worship is. It's self-focused. It satisfies the self, and the focus is on... Um, Yes, man's love for God, but it's not on God. It's on our love for him. It's focused on self. 
right, that's you. my thought, Jim. But a holy hour with the with, with the with the with the with the with the rosary would be all right, wouldn't it? Well, I think so. If if um, yes, I think that would be all right. If people knew that in advance that that was going to happen. Um, they need to know in advance because if they just come and think they're coming to a holy hour with the Blessed Sacrament exposed and they don't know that even the rosary is going to be prayed, it may be very distracting and disturbing for them. If they know they're coming to a holy hour where the rosary is going to be prayed uh, together with other prayers, they can come. Uh, But they shouldn't be surprised because it's an intrusion. Uh, people could pray the rosary on their own. It doesn't have to be prayed aloud as a group. It can be, but people need to know what they're coming to, and it's not wrong, but uh, it doesn't have to do, be that way. We'll be right back. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station, what it's made a difference in my life in terms of making a better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times. It made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. beloved this is mother miriam how would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests you can tune in to sermons for everyday living every day at 6 a.m eastern on the station of the cross you can listen on the station of the cross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic radio mobile app god bless you Bring many more people closer to our Lord by letting them know about Catholic Radio. One of the simplest ways to promote Catholic Radio is by displaying a bumper magnet on your car. Order your free bumper magnets at thestationofthecross.com. We'd be happy to send bumper magnets for your listening area so that others can come to know the Lord. That's thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for sharing Catholic Radio on the road. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to... Mother Miriam live. This is our last segment and our lines are wide open. I think we still have Jim on the line and you're welcome also to call in with anything on your heart toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. Are you still there, Jim? Yes, I am. Oh, I, I, I would, have another, I would have another question for you mm-hmm. if you don't have another caller. Go ahead. 
Well, my question is, uh, am I better off going to the daily daily mass that's uh, Novus Ordo when I really I really don't like the the Novus Ordo too much, and I do go Sundays to the traditional mass and. Most of the time on Wednesdays too. Am I better off going daily to the Novus Ordo, or, or is that something I have to decide personally? Of course, you need to decide personally, uh, Jim. Um, do you go to the uh, traditional mass Sundays and Wednesdays because it's too far from you? Yeah, it's it's it, it's about thirty five miles away, so I have mm-hmm. to make an extra effort. But I, I I would go anyway. I just like it better. Right. I, if if you could get to the traditional mass daily, that would be my choice. But, um, you know, if the Novus Ordo um, is not, um, if it's respectful, um, it, it'd be better, I think, to go to the Novus Ordo and receive our Lord um, than to not go at all. You know, but that would be, the, some Novus Ordo churches are just... Um, too painful, and some people, you know, by the time they receive our Lord, they feel like they should go to confession um, rather than to receive our Lord because of all that's going on. But um, again, Jim, of course, it's your your choice. If you could get to the Latin Church every day, that probably would be the best. But if not, there's nothing wrong going daily to the Novus Ordo at all. Um, it's valid. Uh, it would just depend if you can worship uh, going to the Novus Ordo um, uh, and still re- and receive Christ properly. That would be, you know, that would only you would know that. All right, thank you, guys. You answered my question. I mean, there is no Latin Mass daily here. Oh no, even thirty-five miles away. No, it's just Wednesday and Sunday. Oh, the Latin Mass is only on Wednesday and Sunday. Oh, dear. Well, then. Um, well, in that case, again, uh, the choice of going to the Novus Ordo daily uh, to receive our Lord daily is, is a good one, unless it's just too upsetting in there. I don't know what goes on. Um, if it's too upsetting, and then, then I personally would wait for Wednesday and, and Sunday. But if you can be there and worship and there's not abuses, you know, then I might go during the week. All right, thank you. All right, Jim, dear. God bless you. We have an email from Maria who writes, Good morning, Mother. I recently found out that there's a small percentage of Ashkenazi Jewish DNA in our family. The old story from my parents was that our descendants converted from Judaism to Catholicism in Spain to avoid persecution under the Inquisition. Does this confirm that I do come from Jewish heritage lineage? What tribe do Ashkenazi Jews come from? Thank you, Maria. Maria, this is interesting um, because the Jews in Spain are generally not Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi Jews are uh, are from Eastern Europe generally, and the Sephardic Jews are from Spain. And many Sephardic Jews were forced to convert. Um, to Catholicism. Um, So that's a little confusing to me, but um, if you have Ashkenazi Jewish DNA in your family, then maybe they uh, moved to Spain from uh, Eastern Europe. I don't know. I'm personally an Ashkenazi Jew from um, 
Russia and Hungary and, and from Eastern Europe. Um, but it, Ashkenazi, it's not from a Jewish tribe. Uh, there's no today the Jewish people, Maria, have no way to prove what tribe they're from at all, because when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., so were all the records and all the lineage, which is why if somebody came today claiming to be the Messiah, he could never prove it because there's no more records of the lineage. He would not be able to prove he's the son of David um, and all of that. So um, uh, Jesus came and proved that. And the temple was destroyed following his uh, death and resurrection. Um, so there's no uh, tribe from Ashkenazi Jews. Ashkenazi is actually a dialect of the German language. And I believe, I think there was a man by that name. And that particular dialect um, uh, was adopted and it became known as Yiddish. It's actually written with Hebrew lettering. Um, but it is it is a Yiddish language and comes from the German language, which is all very interesting. So um, you might be a descendant if you have Ashkenazi blood. Then yes, you would be you would have Jewish uh, uh, ancestry, whether it's Ashkenazi or Sephardic. We have an email from Darren who writes, "Dear Mother Miriam, <clears throat> when I watched a recent video of you." and found out that you were part of the Benedictine order, I just had to forward you this dream I had from almost 12 years ago. A woman came to me in a white, bluish, light dress. A woman came to me in a white, bluish light, dressed in what I would describe as a long Victorian dress. As she came into my presence, she spoke. During one part of the dream, she told me to contact two sisters, During this period of my dream, I felt a peace unlike any I had felt before. The only words I could remember were Sister Catherine and Benedictine when I woke up. Is there a Sister Catherine in your order that might be able to help me interpret this dream? No, I'm so sorry, Darren, there's not. That's an interesting dream. Um... There's not a Sister Catherine. I'm trying to think of a Sister Catherine who might be a saint, deceased of the Benedictine order. I'm, there must be, uh, but I'm not uh, familiar with it. We have a a Sister um, um, Gertrude Marie, a full name, Sister Gertrude Marie of the Sacred Heart, and her given name was Kathleen, and she was named Kathleen because she was named after Catherine of Siena. That's the closest I could come to that. But um, that's a very interesting dream, and um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Our Lady, if she gave you that dream, uh, will help you with it. Um, So let me see now. We have an email from Christopher who says, Good morning, Mother. I read today that the Archbishop of Munich, Germany, suggested that the Catholic Church should loosen celibacy rules for clergy because, as he states, quote, for some priests, it would be better if they were married, not just for sexual reasons, but because it would be better for their life and they wouldn't be lonely. Well, uh, let me just tell you, Christopher, I know there's more to your email here, but... Um, that Archbishop of Munich uh, is wrong. Um, it, we're, uh, if priests should be lonely, then if they are lonely, then they're not truly living their priesthood because they're married 
to the church. The church is their bride, and he is their shepherd. Um, uh, I, I once uh, spoke to a woman who was married to an Anglican priest who became Catholic, and they had four children. And, um, and she told me, this woman, this mother and wife, she said to be married to a priest is to be a single mother. That's the end of it. You can't have two wives. Uh, a priest needs to give himself entirely to the bride of Christ. Um, and um, that's only a fourth of your email, dear Christopher. So we'll continue this tomorrow. God bless all of you. Um, and we will speak to you, God willing, tomorrow. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Nothing else matters. God bless you.